Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Thanks for listening to 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. My name is Neil Mackay and I'm your host. This is season six. Don't forget, you can go back through the whole catalog and find all five seasons of 7 Million Bikes. Make sure you subscribe and turn on the notifications. Follow 7 Million Bikes on Facebook. Go on there and give it a like. We're also on Instagram. If you do enjoy this content, then please go on the link in the notes for patreon.com and you can become a member of a Vietnam podcast and you get some cool benefits like free tickets. You'll get early bonus content as well. If you just want to buy me a coffee, there's also a link in the show notes. You can send me a coffee as well. So thank you very much to the previous people that sent me coffees. They were very much enjoyed. So very, very much appreciated. Season six is sponsored by our good friends over at Eddie's New York Deli and Diner. If you are in Saigon, then make sure you go check them out. Tell them that 7 Million Bikes sent you. They got two locations now, one in D2 and one in District 1. If you've seen the show Riverdale on Netflix, you'll know exactly what Eddie's is like. It's a slice of home comfort, no matter where you're from in the world. Make sure you check out Eddie's New York Deli and Diner. So enjoy 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. Thank you for watching the final episode of season six, 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. My guest today is a professional juggler, the first professional juggler we've interviewed on a Vietnam podcast. He has worked for Cirque du Soleil, producing shows for them, and is now the director 
of Loon Production, which produces the AO Show. If anyone in Saigon or Vietnam or around the world has ever seen it, you can see that at the Saigon Opera House or the Hanoi Opera House. I was lucky enough to see it this year before we got locked down, and it was an unbelievable production. So my guest today is Tuan Le. How are you today? Hello. I am very good. I'm fine and healthy and I'm in a good mood, you know. So everything is good. <laughs> That's good to hear. So you're in Hanoi. Uh, sorry, I always get it confused. You're in Hoi An at the moment. That's correct, right? Correct. So how's life in Hoi An at the moment? Well, at the moment, uh, compared to the entire countries, you know, we have like a big outbreaks, you know, like, you know, in uh, Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, and also in the north. So we are right central of the country, which is still very good under control and uh, still very well protected. There are not so many cases, COVID case, cases, and we still can uh, move around, you know, and uh, of course, we are lucky to be surrounding like by the nature quite a lot here. So that helps also quite a lot. So I, I, I have to say I'm, I'm one of the luckier people right now in Vietnam still to have the ability just to run around the street, you know, <laughs> and, and um, maybe can grab a coffee here and there and, and don't have to look back and forwards if uh, anyone will stop you and say, hey, you are fine you know? <laughs> you're making me so jealous right now right i mean like yeah it's just like um um what i what i can say i'm uh i'm a happy and lucky guy well i was uh we did a we had a comedy night last night and we had people that joined it was obviously online comedy night and we had people that joined from like malaysia and they were telling us that they were under a lockdown as well. And they're like, we can only go 10 kilometers from our house. And all the guys from Saigon were like, only 10 kilometers. We can't go 10 feet from our house. <laughs> 10 kilometers sounds like a dream. So it's, a, it's all about perspective, I guess, right? Right. I think, I think it's, also, it's, it's also matter in terms of uh, how people will take it serious, you know, and be aware of uh, the spread out of how, how crazy it is spread out of this COVID, you know. So as, as long we are staying isolated, more or less, you know, uh, the better it is, you know. So, um, I mean, like, of course, it's, it's, it's hard for people like in Saigon or in the big city in general, mm. you know, just staying home and cannot go out or just go for a, a very needed uh, need in life, like a grocery store. And even for that, they have to, like I, I watch on the news, they have to stay on the line like for, for hours, you know, to be uh, able to enter into the grocery store. And it's just, I think it's a... It's quite a crazy time right now. Yeah. Crazy doesn't even cut it, does it? It's uh, it's insane. That last week we had we did have in Saigon, we had kind of massive massive panic buying because all these rumors were going around on Facebook and online, and I guess all the other means of communication. But there was rumors going around that at midnight they were going to stop uh, all food deliveries and bring in an even stricter lockdown, which people then started to think that there was going to be 
a limitation on food. So there were massive lines at the grocery store, like you said, and we went as well. We we were one of the panic buyers. We went and we're like, right, we need to buy food, which actually we needed to go grocery shopping anyway. So it wasn't so much that we were panicking. It was like we needed to go. Um, and we did. We had to line up to get into the, the mall where the, the grocery store is. Then we had to go downstairs, line up to get in the grocery store. Uh, and the whole thing I think from start to finish took us about two hours in terms and as well as like lining up to pay for the groceries and things like this but we just went today um, and we just were able to go in we still had to do all the health checks like the fill in the online form and uh, get our temperature taken but that all went like very quickly um, and then we didn't wait for very, I've waited longer in line on a normal day so it's I think it's okay right now and <laughs> there's also been a massive shortage of eggs, so that's been a big thing all over social media. Can you where where can I buy eggs? Who's got eggs? Um, but I think that's all gotten a lot better now because we when we went to the store there, there was loads of eggs, and but they did have a limit. The guy in front of us was trying to buy five packets of eggs, and he had to put three of them back on the shelf. So it's good that they're stopping people like that uh, buy yeah. too much. Yeah, I know. I mean, like after. So many years, I, I, I have the feeling also like here in general, you know, people are still so afraid of like being hungry, you know, or like don't have enough food, you know. But I mean, like, like, like you already explained, you know, like if each of us would just would buy enough food for a week, for example, then I think this should be okay. But if you take like, the entire X what exists in this store, you know, and and none of the other would have even like one egg, you know. So this is, a, I think it's, it's like, I, I, I feel some, I, I have a, I have this feeling like it's kind of a little bit sad, you know, of in terms of uh, how people just can think and that the, the country is not in that, crazy crisis in terms of uh, getting enough food in the grocery store, in the market, you know, and then just, uh, just you, the, the first one enter the store would buy like as much as they could buy or even as much money as they could have, they just buy the food, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, okay. <laughs> it was quite an interesting uh, uh, moment for me to think again, like, it's like, uh, it's not different, like, then 45, 50 years ago, you know, I mean, after the war, do people still afraid of uh, not having enough food, you know? But nowadays it's changed, you know? Mm. Right. But there's a very, I guess it's an interesting point that obviously not being from here for, for very long and obviously not during that time, I hadn't thought about, do you think that's ingrained then in the psyche here of still lingering thoughts from the war? And when, the, I mean, even up until the 80s and 90s, there was still kind of massive famines and things like that. Do you think that still lingers in people's minds? Yes, of course, there's, there's still. And, and it's, it's the point is not about like, they just, uh, they are just uh, making sure that they would have enough. But I don't know. What is enough for you? You know, how much is enough? You know, and I think nowadays, of course, the food is important, but I think the more, much more important that people need to drink enough clean waters, you know, every day. 
the water is even more important than the food. I mean, I'm just a little bit uh, crazy myself too, <laughs> but I think like uh, it's not about what you eat; it's about how you can uh, divide, you know, everything in your life, you know, with uh, uh, your eating habits, with your exercise habits, with your drinking, you know, of course, water. Not beer, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think this is quite uh, interesting in in countries like Vietnam or similar country. You know, so Asia, I think in general, it's like mm. okay, there should be enough food or even more than enough for to take care of the entire family. I would say, yeah. I think I need to take your advice because uh, I've not been the model of health recently. I, I Before the lockdown, I would work out regularly. Uh, since the lockdown started, we thought it was just going to be a couple of weeks. So I got really lazy and I was like, yeah, no, I'll just have a couple of weeks off. Then it became three weeks. Then it became four weeks. So now I finally started to do some exercise at home, which I'm going to do some this afternoon, I promise. But uh, it's just quite funny you saying about what you eat and what you consume because we've just come back from our weekly trip to the grocery store. It's the only time we leave the house. And I just filled the basket with like chocolate and snacks. And I'm like, no, well, if we're staying at home, I want to eat the stuff that I would normally never buy when we go shopping in normal times. But I was like, no, if we're going to be at home all day, I want to eat rubbish. So you, you, will, you will enjoy it with your Netflix probably. Well, we haven't been watching too much Netflix, to oh. be honest. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and thankfully, I'm still very busy making podcasts, and uh, we're doing some online events, some quiz nights, and comedy shows, and uh, so it's keeping me busy. So I've actually not we've not been watching too much Netflix. But I also was going to say, you mentioned about you know, and it's quite funny. People in Vietnam at least have the right idea that when they want to panic buy or they want to buy a lot of things they buy food because that's sensible right like you want to make sure you have food to eat whereas a year and a half ago in the west what were they panic buying toilet paper right i know i know that's crazy <laughs> i never understood it and i still don't understand why that was the thing that people were going so crazy and filling up their wagons on, on the wagon that's an old world well, the suv or whatnot like with toilet mm -hmm. paper like i saw one thing that said if you worked it out they had enough toilet paper for like 40 years why would you ever i don't understand why that was a thing i know that's a it's a I would say something in the direction of a crazy psychic. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that's more more what it was. Yeah, I have my friends also in in US. I remember, like uh, they have the entire basement of their house just with toilet papers. You know. Okay. <laughs> crazy, isn't it? Crazy. Now, mm. you're obviously you're well, not obviously, but you are from Saigon. But I can. Mm. For the first time, maybe because we're doing a, a chat, I can really hear a distinct German accent coming through. Oh, you do? Wow. I do. Right, yes, yes, yes. Because I, 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 I start to uh, study language as I was in Germany, not in Vietnam. So, I mean, the, it's a very dry, very dry, dry accent, <laughs> I <to> say. <laughs> Sorry. Well, we met uh, at the German Business Association event that I was performing at, which was hosted by our mutual friend, Lum Visai, who's also been on the podcast this season. So that's quite good. Did one performance at the German Business Association and have two 
amazing guest for the show. Um, and that's where we first got introduced. So tell me a bit about uh, how did you end up in Germany? So tell me, we I started off introducing you're a professional juggler. Mm. Explain to the audience, how did a, a boy from Saigon become a professional juggler? Well, I, I was born in a, a family of performing arts uh, in Saigon. And then um, my uh, grandfather, he was a classical music conductor. My grandma, she was a um, um, classical ballerina. Uh, and my dad, he was a very well-known uh, musician, trumpet player in Saigon. My mom, she used to be a, um, a theater director and, and, and television producer. She have her own uh, theater company. Um, yeah, and of course, I grew up in an artistic environment, I would say. So I, I started to, to study uh, ballet class when I was five. And then after this, I went for gymnast for another year. So I was six. And then uh, my older brother taught me how to, to juggle. And it, as a kid, it was just like a, a fun thing to do for little kids, you know. It's not something like... I would assume that would be um, uh, following me until like for a very long time, you know. So, um, and uh, I started to perform in Saigon and, uh, and then we moved to Germany when I was about a teenager, 12, 13 years old. So as we came to Germany, so um, everything changed for us, for the entire family, you know. I think the performing arts uh, idea or direction was not anymore like the priority uh, in the family in general at all because, uh, of course, uh, someone from Vietnam come, came to Germany and would never think like, okay, performing art in general would be like a, a, a future direction to do as a uh, professional, you know. But uh, somehow I have a support from my teachers and stuff. Uh, uh, so I, I stopped for a few years, I think three years, and then I, um, I start again to, uh, to look out for interests in performing arts. And at that time, it was still like circus and juggling more uh, specific. But then I discovered a very interesting new format that I never knew as I was a kid in Vietnam. This was like uh, variety and cabaret theater. And, uh, and then I, I, I joined the, the school for uh, dance and artistic for circus art in Berlin. But then I, I decided already there before, as I entered to, to the school, that I don't want to continue to uh, study as a traditional circus artist or circus juggler. Because I think uh, for me at that point already, that's the um, acrobatic uh, or, or the skill you have, just the tools that you can be able to use this to, to tell some message or story, you know. And the con the idea of to 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 have a a concept of theatrical performances combined with all the element music 
uh, dance, acrobatic, and of course myself, I was a juggler at that time also, already was kind of the vision and the dream I would like to um, to work on it, you know, as a, as a young uh, a young boy in Berlin. And then, of course, it's very important that I have a, I was very lucky to be able to meet so many great and and unique and international artists who was working at that time in Berlin, you know, from the very like underground cabaret into the very uh, high class uh, classical uh, variety theater and 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 into and I was looking and searching. I was I was a uh, more or less like a more like a very curious person, and I think. I'm still now today, you know, everything new and is, is undiscovered. This is where I really get my interest into this because uh, it's more or less until now, you know, whatever I have been uh, create and, and, and in Vietnam for the last almost 10 years is I try to create a, 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 a dream, something uh it's not really existing in life but that dream is about to share to the audience that okay when they come into the theater for example in into the saigon opera house or hanoi opera house or even uh when my show performing at the sydney opera house or in oman or wherever the show is performing you know that when the lights come down that the my dream will begin and that will guide the audience into a world that after the show that they would have a positive you know energy and they would like wow this is something that maybe have the impact and would inspire the audience you know for them after they go out and they would just not about talking about the show but they would have like, like a, a, a um, positive feeling you know and something that maybe that could help them uh, for the next days of their life, you know, that this life could be very beautiful if we we can create something and that we can take care uh, about something that would have a, a, a direct emotion, emotional connections, you know, between the the art piece and the audiences yeah you just listening to you has almost put me into like a dreamlike trance uh it's really it's an inspirational to hear because so i've been to the ao show uh mm. thanks to you you invited me and we 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 loved it and then now you explaining that is making me kind of remember it and then think about, yeah, like the lights go down and then you just become entranced with the performance on stage. And as someone who's not really a performer and not artistic at all, uh, I never thought about what you said there really struck a, a chord about like using your skills to tell a story. So juggling on its own is like a, a just a, a skill, right? Right. But then you can then put that together with your vision and with other skills and, and obviously then the art of the stage and the art of the production. And you can put all these things together and suddenly you tell a story. And at the end of the day, right, that's what all of life is, is human beings. We tell stories, whether it's to friends, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's a marketing tool, you know, we 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 
I don't want to be too deep, but we make meaning from life through the stories that we share. And so I think that's amazing to just, I'd never really thought about that going from the skill of juggling to then putting together a dreamlike story on stage. That's really amazing. Yeah, and I think even even like with with uh, your professions, you know, so you you are telling a very concrete story, you know, about something specific. But uh, for me, also, is 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 also doesn't matter if the audience would understand the story you want to tell. But the more important is that they have to feel it, you know, they have to feel like. What is the purpose? Why you are telling that? And then, then this feeling is more for me more important than the understanding. And I think this is what is so beautiful when we work with performing arts, you know. And of course, I think I think maybe that could happen to you. You know, you are a, a very well-known stand-up comedian, you know. And I went. I was lucky that you also invited me to your. Uh, to your club, you know, uh, the other night in, in Saigon at the Hard Rock Coffee. But I think, yes, my English is okay, but I would, I would imagine, you know, if my English would not be that okay, I could still sense, you know, I could still feel like, okay, what has happened on the stage, you know, why these people and even the reactions of the audience also could invite me into the environment that I may cannot understand 100% completely English. But of course, this is the magic, I would say, of live entertainment. What mm. we are facing right now in a very uh, difficult time, you know, we cannot have like a direct contact with our live entertainment and reaction with the live audiences, you know. Mm. Of course, it's... Uh, with a video, uh, like live stream, also something, but it, it's not, it, it's just like in live performances for me, it's always something very different and unique. And the unique of that moment, you know, sometimes you cannot even recreate it, you know, uh, even you do the same thing, you know, because the, the emotion of the performer or, or, or how you feel on that night, you know, you tell about something. Of course, there is certain like key moment that people would love, uh, you know, but the way you perform that every day, I think is is would be very differently, you know. Uh Absolutely. Yeah. There's a couple of things I, I wanted to follow, continue on. So when you're saying that, that's so amazing to hear that, you know, maybe if you, if you can't understand the language, which I've been in that situation, that you can still feed off that energy and you understand that something good is happening. You understand because it reminded me that uh, communication, 90% is body language and tone of voice. So what you say is only 10%. And if you think about Mr. Bean, for example, he doesn't say anything, and he's one of the it's one of the most well-known funniest characters that's yeah. been created without saying a single word. And I remember reading about how he created that character. Do you know what he did? He went to the Montreal Comedy Festival. He was already quite a well-known actor and performer, Rowan Atkinson at the time. Um, but he went to the Montreal Comedy Festival where they mostly spoke French, didn't speak English. And he performed that character because he that was his test. If they laughed at that character, 
he wasn't speaking and that meant that to him was proof that he could do that this character could be enjoyed by anyone in the world it doesn't matter what language you speak which has now obviously gone on to make him ridiculous amounts of money because they turned it into a cartoon and now uh, it's loved by Vietnamese children I know that for sure I'm not sure about around the world but uh, to continue on from what you said as well uh, about like different nights or, or little moments like that for me is really really got me remembering about you know sometimes when you're on stage some of the funniest things I've ever said based on how hard people have laughed has been something that I've just thought of on the spot and I've either never said it again or maybe even I'm like oh that got a laugh I'll use it again and it never really seems to get as big a laugh maybe than when the first time I just said it without thinking and then even what you're saying about you know different performances different nights one of the things for me as a comedian is um I, over the last year, I've realized that I have to give 110% every single time. And if I back off even a little bit, so I remember one time I was at the Hard Rock Cafe doing a gig, not the one that you were at. And I wasn't really happy with my performance. I thought it was like a little bit, I was a little bit nervous maybe. It was a big crowd. But after that, I realized that like you just need, you can't be apprehensive because even if it's not like really obvious, which I don't think it was, for me, it, meant that I didn't feel my performance so I'm doing the same kind of jokes the same things nothing new but it could come across to the audience and uh it really it brought it home last night we did an online comedy show last night and of course you know zoom technical difficulties my camera wasn't working um so I I, I did my performance with no camera so obviously the audience could hear me and I was doing jokes that I've done before jokes I knew that worked jokes that normally got big laughs and I was just it was almost silence the whole time and then I, I realized yeah even though it's on zoom they couldn't see my face they couldn't see me moving my hands like I'm doing right now I use my hands a lot they couldn't see my facial expressions so that took away from 70% of the performance if you 70% is body language even on zoom and so that again made me realize you know it's all about yeah that performance as well right yeah, I, I think I think like like you say with Mr. Bean and and also even like uh, with Charlie Chaplin also mm. you know, like when when he create his his silent movies you know and 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 people just crack it up when they saw it you know and the, the only like the only thing that 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 really helped you know with all the Chaplin movie is it was the music you know. And and that music that that would also support to for the audience to have more emotional as the moment and the technology at that time was not like like right now but I think even the ideas you know it's just already incredible and uh, and of course with comedy I think like uh, I I don't know how you works but I think we, in in my shows you know when I have all these comedy moments, you know, it's really based on oh, what I, I I feel funny, you know. It's not even that I think it's funny, but I have observed somewhere, you know, and I also follow my performer, you know, like, okay, what what they are what they think is funny, you know, what is for them is funny also. And then um for example we have like uh I've been. In, I was in San Francisco with a, a, a German 
performers, you know, uh, at that point we was working in San Francisco and there was a movie from uh, a very famous Asian, I think from Hong Kong. Uh, it's called uh, Kung Fu Hustle. Kung Fu Hustle, you know. And uh, I thought it was funny and I was cracking up, you know, watching that a little bit. And then I, I gave this movie for my friend, you know, Sabina. And she couldn't understand it. Why is this so funny? You know, it's just like garbage, you know. So I think it's like, it's also, uh, it's also, it's, it's so interesting in terms of, of what we think funny or what is comedy in terms of the region or where it is located, you know. So, yeah. What is it? The thing with comedy that almost makes it, even more difficult is it is very subjective. So what one person finds, the exact same performance can be judged completely differently. But I guess all art is the same. Music, everything can be, we're all unique, right? That's what makes us, uh, mm. it's what makes the world so much fun. Season six is sponsored by our good friends over at Eddie's New York Deli and Diner. If you are in Saigon, then make sure you go check them out. Tell them that 7 Million Bikes sent you. they got two locations now, one in D2 and one in District 1. If you've seen the show Riverdale on Netflix, you'll know exactly what Eddie's is like. It's a slice of home comfort no matter where you're from in the world. Make sure you check out Eddie's New York Deli and Diner. Now, I'm going to go back a bit though. So uh, what year did you leave for Germany then? 1990. I think it's incredible. Your whole family are uh, all in the performing arts. If you didn't become a performing artist, you would be the black sheep of the family. <laughs> I know. And, and, and I mean, now I can say that. But as and I told you, you know, as I, we, we decided to move to Germany, you know, my family was not like against like that I would continue with performing arts, but I don't think they 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 did not believe that if I would continue with performing arts, I would be successful at all you know they 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 already had the picture already like okay there there's no chance you know uh, uh, a young little Vietnamese kid in Germany and would be uh, um, recognize even first, you know. <laughs> well, but uh, I, 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 I follow my dream. I listen to my heart, and of course, I also have to research and study quite a lot. You know, in terms of uh, uh, also in terms of investment for myself. You know, that that is a it was a. It was a very nice journey, but it's also a very uh, tough and 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 sometimes also very difficult moment I, I have been through. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm just thinking as well with a family like that, you must have been one of the few people who went under the pressure to become an accountant or a doctor. Exactly, exactly. I, I think that there was something like, okay, uh, you should study and be an engineer. You know. <laughs> Okay, what kind of engineer? You know, I still have a hard time nowadays just to school uh, uh, something. <laughs> I'll put a table there. <laughs> so you came back to Saigon, right? And you joined the circus in Saigon, is that right? 
no, I came back. I was away for over 20 years. Uh, I We live majority in Germany. I would say I was, I, I grew up in Berlin, so in Germany. So even nowadays, all my works and all the inspirations, and of course, for for a teenager, you know, that's that is the the time period that affects your life the most. You know, who you met, uh, uh, in which environment you grow up, and 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 I think even my work nowadays here in Vietnam um, with all the I would say like a system and the concept that that had a lot to do with the time I, I have been growing up in Berlin. Yeah, exactly. So how did you end up in the Cirque du Soleil? Give me the, the story, the progression there from a, a, a boy in Berlin that learned to juggle. How did you end up? Um, well, I, 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 I start to perform uh, in Berlin. I think it was, uh, I even can remember which year was that. I think about like uh, um, end of the end of the nineties, I think, like ninety five, ninety six. I think nineteen ninety six that I start to perform in the cabarets and and variety, and and I I I joined some. Um, it was not like a. I joined some festival. It was a vaudeville festival in Berlin, and uh, somehow I, I they decided that I I won the uh, newscomer prize for new newscomer jugglers. It was in '96, uh, I I think, uh, and then and then I was introduced to perform in different theater in in Germany. There 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 was and there's still a really big market uh, for. Variety theater, which they call cabaret, you know, mm. and and I perform at all the theater in Germany for at least like ten years, you know, and then uh, and and then I was invited to actually to come to Montreal in years nineteen ninety nine to perform at the gala of the the TV gala of the Just for Love festival. Yeah, uh, you know that festival? No, no, I'm not aware of that one. You don't know Just for Laughs? Just for Laughs is a one of the biggest uh, comedy festival in Montreal, in Canada. Oh, the one in Canada? Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, yeah. I do know that one. Yeah, they they have like all these uh, little comedy uh, uh, gags, you know, on on the airplane. Normally, when it's also from there, and but it was like a, a theater gala and and someone like one of the producer came to Germany and saw me there, and of course they invited me to perform there, and and on and on. So uh, your name will be uh, not somewhere, you know, by producers uh, around Europe and around uh, uh, Northwest America, you know. And of course, uh, I, I was performing the first time. With Cirque du Soleil, it was in Monte Carlo. Actually, there was a Formula One race, and uh, Cirque du Soleil was uh, putting the show together with 
another company is called Palm Duck and Circumstance from Germany. And uh, we went to Monte Carlo and, and we performing uh, for this occasion. And, um, and uh, all the workers and I think Guy Lalibete, he was also there. You know, I even don't know if he watched my act at all there. But then the rumor just keep talking. You know, you be, you you just you just uh, uh, get into like a network of circles and variety performing uh, arts in general. You know, and it speak like uh, around like you know you know if if you so um, and then. Uh, and then uh, at some point, I, I got a phone call from Cirque du Soleil um, to, to join one of their projects. You know, it was also like a, a vaudeville project uh, supposed to, to be performed at, in New York City, you know, at the Beacon Theater. And then, uh, of course, I say yes, because uh, for any of the performer or circus artists, you know, it's... Uh, is a honor to be invited, you know, because normally you have to do uh, some auditions, you know, you have to go somewhere, you have to show your skill, but um, I did not have to do all these kind of things. So, um, so I, I, I joined their first production and we performing for almost like a year in New York City at the Beacon Theater. And then we went on tour in Toronto. We performed at the... Chicago theater in Chicago, which was like amazing because it's this like incredible historical theater. And of course, I was lucky just be like part of cast member who could performing daily, you know, at the Chicago theater. Yes, and on and on. And then, uh, of course, beyond Cirque du Soleil, I performed at all the the um, uh, productions in Europe, you know, uh, France, and uh, I even can remember everywhere Sweden. So I have to I have to write down all the places I have been. So when <laughs> what I about get, Scotland? I no, 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 Scotland. I think Sweden is the most uh, uh, or Denmark. It was like the farthest from not Europe that I have been to, but not Scotland at all. Yeah. Uh, I hope one day I could bring my show there. Yeah, that would be. I'll tell you the next time I'm going on holiday there. We'll, we'll, you can just come with me and we'll uh, we'll, oh, we'll yeah. do a show just for my right. family in the front living room. I'm kidding. I would love. To. No, no, I would love to. I mean, <laughs> now day would be like so beautiful, you know. And and best thing, you know, one of the best thing is like. You are working on some projects or at some production, but you can travel, you know, everywhere around the world, you know. I'm so thankful uh, with all the opportunity I have, you know. I would not have been to, I don't know, to uh, Bulgaria, you know, if mm. I didn't have a gig there. And, 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 and. By then, I have met so many beautiful people, you know, and people wherever they are, they are, they have, they are very unique, you know. They have their own like character. They have own their mindset. They have their own culture, and that is very interesting for me, also, you know. Yeah. Well, there are many other 
Vietnamese jugglers, Vietnamese performers. It's just, it's so incredible, you know, like um, obviously Vietnam, Vietnam, we don't need to go into it, but it's a, a massively affected by a massive war. Uh, and coming out of that, I wouldn't expect to, I'm even surprised, you know, you saying about your dad was a trumpet player, your mum was a ballerina. Like it's me being a naive expat, but I just, because of, I guess, maybe pop culture of what people know of Vietnam. And now I live in the modern Vietnam. So we're not exposed to too much of this. And I, I have heard little bits about how Saigon used to have a thriving art scene. And part of the aftermath of the war was that was all lost. So is that like, how did your parents fit into that? Uh, well, I think before the war, you know, everything was, uh, my, my parents was still kind of working still during the war, you know, because he was like a, a musician. So he went to play for clubs, you know, in uh and play cool, I think, uh, in Saigon also. And of course, the, even during the war, there was the televisions uh, was still there in Saigon. And my mom, she was able to perform there. But I think af I think the, 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 the most very uh, hard and tough time is as, war, as the world ends, you know. So everything stopped. Mm. And, and everything needs to be... Uh, reorganize, you know, even in terms of in term of uh, uh, art and 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 uh, artistic uh, direction, you know. Um, so when did you come back to Vietnam? How long had you been away? Uh, I've been over twenty two years, and and now is my oh, is already my. I'm already nine years here, almost 10 years. That's incredible. Almost <laughs> like a decade. <laughs> I couldn't. Uh, and when you returned to Vietnam, how was your Vietnamese? Very bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you a story. I, <laughs> I, I, I create like a, uh, the, first, uh, the first creation and production. It was more like a collaboration with the Vietnamese circus artist in Hanoi. And I was, I think, 23 years old at that time. That, and, and, and we did like a, a project within like a few weeks, you know, and I have like a, I have a really hard time to, uh, sometime, not all the time, but to express myself you know, to the artist, like, what I actually want, uh, I see that way they could do, you know. And sometimes it's come into like uh, a moment that, that the artist also struck her quite a lot because they even didn't understand like what this, this man want to say, you know. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I, 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 didn't, I didn't continue to work to get more perfection in my Vietnamese, but I decided to find a different way, you know, to have a discussion with them, you know, and so, and that works, you know, in terms of I ex 
God's plan. Or I, I I do something, you know, and and that they they would understand. I think it's more about understanding. And of course, the easiest one is when you exchange by words, you know. Uh, but the other way you can also like um, uh, exchanges by your body language, you know, or even by your behaviors, you know, the way you tell, you know. Well, we've beaten this horse to death on this podcast. We talk about all the time about how difficult Vietnamese is. But for anyone who doesn't or thinks that we were, were overplaying it, you've just heard that a person who was born in Vietnam and speaks Vietnamese still had difficulty after being out of the country, uh, being understood by his fellow countrymen. That is how uh, difficult Vietnamese can be. But I think also what you mean is the kind of cultural exchange as well, right? So you maybe, after being away for so long, had learned like a different way to talk to people. And from what I know in, in Vietnam, there's a very, very different way that we do that. Right, right. And even nowadays, I, I still struggle sometimes uh, with my written Vietnamese because uh, the way how how we write in Vietnamese is sometimes different than the way how we talk, you mm. know? Yeah. <laughs> so you came back to Vietnam. How did you end up uh, creating the AO show? So I decided... Uh, I think it was my last contract. I had a, a, a very beautiful, nice contract on the cruise ship. Uh, that was starting from Miami uh, around all the islands, you know, Mexico on and off. And then after three months, we, we crossed the ocean from uh, uh, America to Europe, you know. And then, uh, and then we continue to travel around all these uh, uh, islands in, in Europe, you know, Spain and uh, Barcelona, and I can remember all these islands. And uh, for me, there was a moment, uh, so the story is, I have a really, really great and good contract, you know, with a lot of money. And I was living in a shift in a cruise ship, in a five-star cruise ship, you know, that provides you everything you can have. You know, you have, you can eat all day, 24 hours, you know, you have your bed, you, you never have to do your bed by yourself, you know, and then, uh, and then you are on the water, yeah, most of the time. And I think I enjoy that quite a lot you know for the first uh, weeks and months and then suddenly i i got scared i got scared because i don't have any responsibility anymore in life you know except performing you know <laughs> and, and and it's just like you you go like like one circle of the trip after two weeks and you repeat this entire trip again mm. you know the only thing that change is the customer, the guest, uh, new guest. But I think for me is at that moment, even for some people, maybe this is like a, a, a beautiful uh, experiences. And it was for me too. But then after a while, I think like, I think like, wow, it's, if it's like, like that, I don't know what I would, I would have still 
ability if I get off the <laughs> ship. Yeah. You know, after 10 months, I even don't know like, how I could wash my clothes, you know, because everything, no, really, it's like, yeah, yeah. One of my good friends was a photographer on a cruise ship for a, for a few years. Um, and he told me all about that life. And I've known other people to have done it. And it's, yeah, I think there's a shelf life for it. I did. I remember I met one couple who'd been doing it for like 15 years. So I guess they just committed to it. They were married yeah. and, and, and for them, it was just life. But I think I would have maybe have loved to have done it when I was younger uh, for like a little bit. It seems like an incredible experience, but I can completely understand what you're saying. Like you couldn't, that's, if if your whole life is just revolved around eating and performing, sleeping and not much else, like it doesn't give you much uh, stimulus or creativity as well. Right. And and I think I did it for like about uh, five months, like halfway of my contract. And, and after we arrived to Europe, you know, and, and also I think I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit scared being on the water for so long. You know, I think it was like, 12 days 12 days of uh uh on the ocean without landing anywhere you know and and some evening i remember i i i went to the top deck of the ship you know and i was just afraid yeah you know i was really like afraid because this 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 world you know i would say on the ship could be so beautiful if it's like your journey of a week or 10 days, you know, mm. but it's like on and off again. And then it's repeating again. And, and the space itself is, is become much, much too small, you know, and um, the yeah. room, the rooms are tiny, aren't they? Like, did your room have a window? Yeah. My room had a window, but it's still tight. You know, it's still small. You just go like that in your yeah. bathroom, you know, and everything in your suitcase, you know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's not, it's like, it's not your home, you know, you know, it's like a, a temporary living, I would mm. say that would, and then of course you have to do this all emergency exercise, you know, every two weeks. You know, you have to stand on the line, you know. And I think it was it was at some point like I say, like, okay, if I continue with that, you know, maybe it's also not too bad. But then I have already before that plans, you know, what I would like to do when I come to Vietnam. And then I I just uh, talked to the uh, manager of the show you know i would like to talk to the director and then uh they organize and i just talk to um on the phone you know i say man i i know you know how much you really love my work and i know i really enjoy but i say that i just can't stay in the ship anymore <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure that happens quite often i'm sure they're used to people committing to stuff and then at a certain point just being like i cannot do this anymore yeah. Yeah, and 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 when it's when it's become not comfortable for you anymore, especially when when you are a performer, you know, you cannot hide it, you know, you cannot be like do your juggling as with joy, you know, even you 
can pretend to smile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if your heart you're is smiling not on the outside, but you're dying on the inside. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was like, uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm suffer so much because the life was much too good on the ship. Mm. No. I, that's I mean, what I've heard, you know, because it's a good life and it's an easy life. And, and right. apparently it's one of the few kind of routes for, for many comedians to make a living out of doing comedies to get a gig as a comedian on a cruise ship. And so same thing, you know, and it's, oh, I think it's unlimited alcohol, right, really? Like, or do you pay for alcohol? I'm not sure, but it's not like a, a healthy lifestyle in terms of the readily abundance of alcohol. But one story I heard was, you know, as a, one of the worst gigs that this comedian ever had to do was the matinee gig. It was Lars Callio, who was a guest on this show way back in the first season. He was like the third guest we ever interviewed um, and still friends to this day. He just came and performed at one of our open mics, which was awesome uh, mm-hmm. on Zoom, obviously. But he was telling uh, this story about how he had to do this matinee show like three in the afternoon. And there was just this five-year-old just running up and down in front of the stage as he's trying to do his jokes. And obviously it had to be clean comedy because it's the middle of the day. But So it wasn't like the material was inappropriate, but he was just trying to do his his comedy routine with this five-year-old running up and down. And so eventually he kind of said to the the mom or the dad that was sitting there, was like, you know, can you, can you get your kid to sit down? And she's like, no, we're here to do the comedy. He can do what he wants. Just get on with it and told him to just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and then uh, I talked to the the company boss and director and explain, and and he was he was still want to convince. You know, he say, "Okay, I let you go. I let you get off the ship for a few weeks, but I hope you would return." Mm. You know, I think it was very. I think it's one of the most nicest person and producer and director even like and then I say yeah but I can tell you now if I leave the ship I would <laughs> never come back you <laughs> well I have to be honest with him you know I would just say okay I will but is is that the moment when my heart tell me I have to tell the truth you know mm. So they 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 have to rearrange the show. They have to to hire a, a a new performer that replaced my place in in the show. And then and then I remember I I I arrived in no in Italy I think some port in Italy, and then I I get a taxi. I went to the airport and I bought right away the tickets. That I can fly straight to Vietnam, so that was my 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 coming to Vietnam, you know. So you weren't already in Vietnam at that point. No, I weren't. Yeah. Wow. So we yeah. were like, did you have family to stay with? Like, where did you land? Where did you go? Yes, I have my relatives, you know. Yes, and then uh, I, I I I I had a, a, a distant relationship with a. Uh, beautiful dancers and my at that time girlfriend, you know. So I stay with my my friends, how my relatives, and then at my girlfriend's house at that time, you know. And uh, and then it's just like okay, just go there and 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 restart really from zero, you know. Uh, I have just like ideas what I could do, you know, but not very 
specific plans, you know. So I, I ended up just like hang out for a few months and then this and that come up and then uh, and then uh, um, luckily I got the uh, connections, you know, with the uh, people in Saigon, you know, who have the interest to because they already saw my previous production in Hanoi and they have an interest to produce something uh, similar like that for that particular um, uh, client's target, I would say, like audience, you know. So it was, and then, uh, yeah, we say, let's do it. So, and then since uh, 2012 till now, so with the time, you know, that Loon production was created. So nearly 10 years then of, the, of Loon production as well? Yes, exactly. It's yeah. one of these things in Saigon, um, and I don't know if I'm the only one that's guilty of it, but I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And the AO show was one of them. So we've been here we're in our sixth year now. We've been planning to go for so long, and mm -hmm. it never happened. And then, uh, you know, I met you and found out about your involvement with it. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to finally go. So we finally went to it, and it was a... It was incredible. And do you know that night you gave me one of the biggest frights of, of my life? Really? Yeah, because if you remember, we our seats were kind of against the wall, I guess. And you, you, oh, know, right, right. you, you know the building, I guess. And we're watching the show and the next minute a hand comes out of nowhere behind this curtain and like taps me on the shoulder. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're lucky I didn't soil the seats. I was like, terrified and then you then it comes around and then you there was your face just like out of the darkness like hello <laughs> right 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 uh, but um, i would definitely recommend any list anyone listening when things are back up definitely go to the, the ao show at the opera house so so tell me what's next then for you uh, in terms of lockdown at the moment and then after lockdown what's happening well uh during the lockdown we still uh kind of uh working in terms of come up with plans with uh, uh ideas what happened so we will still be able to performing uh to perform few shows at the opera house before the breakouts and it was actually the continued plans uh for the next month but then it's stopped right now because it's uh uh, very crazy and then uh, we also have a, a plan to recreate one of our other another shows it's called Tedara it's about the culture of the tribal and highlands culture on the mountain because we already signed a contract with uh, with a, a theater in uh, Saudi Arabian that the show needs to perform uh, somewhere in February, I think, next year. And uh, so it's expecting if the um, the, the uh, crisis, COVID crisis is getting better, we will gather all the performers again to recreate the other show and that they can be ready to perform in Vietnam by the end of the year, hopefully also at the Saigon Opera House. And then they are ready to uh, go to the international stage in uh, Saudi Arabia uh, in February next year. 
Awesome. It would be so amazing to see like the AO show or the new show, Tadar, you said, was it? Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. To see these shows then be taken around the world and and again, bringing, I feel like, you know, being in Vietnam now for so long, it's been incredible. The amount of friends that we've had visit us in Vietnam before the lockdown, obviously, kind of was like surprising to us and Vietnam was really becoming on people's radar as a tourist destination. Obviously, tourism was going through the roof. But I also think conversely, Vietnam is becoming more exposed in a positive light around the world as well. So like we've had the latest guest on was like Sarah Nguyen in, in Brooklyn with her. She's bringing Vietnamese coffee to America. There's more and more exposure about the culture of Vietnam. Even like beer now, you go in the Premier League and you see like Saigon, beer Saigon, which is not a great advertisement for Vietnamese beer, but it's still an advertisement nonetheless. Um, but you see, v- I think Vietnam is coming to the world as well as people coming to Vietnam. So it would be great to see, to see that show representing Vietnam around the world. Right. And this is also our target, you know, like uh, if we have the ability and the chance, you know, to performing uh, anywhere in the world, you know, and, and we would like to go. We, we already have also another contract already signed in Hungary with the RO show already for last year. And it has been always be being postponed yeah. uh, because, uh, but I think Europe is, is coming back now with live performance uh, again. And as soon we can get our vaccine passport, you know, I hopefully sometime uh, uh, before next summer, we can be able to travel again with our shows. Brilliant. That'd be great. Hopefully that will all happen. So we're going to move on now to the final questions because this is what I love. One of my favorite episodes are always when I could keep talking, but I try and keep it to to uh, not not too long. Otherwise, I'll be doing right. like three-hour Joe Rogan-style podcast, which I, I don't want to do. So right. uh, I would love to talk to you more uh, and, and find out a lot more because I know there's more to your story than we'd even be able to cover here. But uh, we will move on at this point. But thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, so the first question that we ask everyone is, uh, have you tried durian? Yes. And what do you think of it? I, I mean, I can eat. I, I, uh, I, I, I think what the people are very sensitive about durian is the smell. But for me, the smell is, is not that at all you know i mean like i can eat it or i i don't have to eat it it's not because it's not like it's not my favorite food but but in like the different way is like it's a very exotic food fruit right you call it fruit right and uh, it's a interesting food i would say but it's not like oh um I have a durian. I'm crazy. I want to eat it right away. I mean, if in 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 I have it on the table of my my dining table with uh, friends and family, you know, and go ahead. Who are so crazy that they can have my portions, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this just to remember, remind everyone listening. This is a fruit that has cleared out buildings because when they've smelled it, they think it's a bomb and buildings have been closed down all because of a fruit. Right. And even like they, 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 
they don't accept to bring it on the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. So the next question is, what is the craziest car that you have seen? I mean in Vietnam, but you cannot answer for anywhere on your travels. And the example that I give is that this year I saw a bedazzled Mercedes-Benz where it was completely glittery silver. Yeah, I think that there's two times I was uh, have a notice. The first time I was sitting in a Mercedes-Benz car, I think it was like a C1. It was in Germany back in like, uh, no, I think 19 years ago. Because I was, uh, we finished a show in Berlin and my friend who just brought this fancy car, I would say, you know, and we took off from Berlin to uh, to Hamburg, and he was driving like not less than 200 kilometers per hour, like constantly, wow. you know, and, and you know, in Germany, you know, if you get on a highway, it's your call, you know, how fast <laughs> you want to drive, and, and I have to say, I... I was a little bit concerned, you know, but I mean, like it was a really crazy drive. I, I, I had it was a, the the very first impressions about cars because I, I'm not a crazy cars, uh, uh, person. Yeah, we are Vietnamese. You're a crazy motorbike person, right? Yeah, yeah, and and but 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 lately, I have another moment with a car i don't think it is a car itself but it's like the uh president uh vinfast car like a very uh, limited car and i was in the car of my friend who actually the the chief of this entire project you know and he was living in in mr Hue. he he was he he was uh, he grew up and he studied and he worked in Germany and he connect all this company to be able to 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 build the 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 Vinfast car. But the craziest for me is nowadays, you know, we are two two thousand twenty one. You know, I mean, like even ten years ago, nobody in Vietnam and in the world would expect. Like Vietnam would have its own car, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird, interesting uh, idea, I would say. Yeah, one of the things about Vietnam right now, living here and in general, is things happen so quickly. Like, and we've talked about it on this show before as well. Like, you know, the, the development is so fast. And I've kind of forgotten that. You've just made a point. When we arrived here five years ago, VinFast didn't exist. I don't even think they had a factory, but it was like when the decision was made by, I guess, the Vin Group, like, we're going to make our own cars. They brought over experts from Germany, as you mentioned. They mm -hmm. created a factory. They created an assembly line. They created a company. And they manufacture, I think it opened, it was like the quickest opening of a car manufacturer ever. Is that right? It took them only like two I years. Know. No, I, I, the feeling is like, this was like uh, overnight, you know. Yeah. It's like suddenly it's just, okay, there's a car from Vietnam. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is 
so crazy, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, kind of touching on that subject, then I guess. So my next question is, what is something that happens in Vietnam that would be looked at strangely in another country? That would be the maybe you already observed this moment, but like when uh, friendships, you know, when men and men would just like walk together and have the hand or the, the other person's shoulder. Yeah. You know? I think this is a very typical uh, reaction of a very normal relationship in Vietnam yeah. when it's a childhood. And even they get older, you know, they still like, like shoulder to shoulder. And, and I think to some... Uh, country which is a little bit more like uh, how you say that uh, they would look a little bit like hmm. uh, well yeah well, they would assume that they were a couple right but it's uh, here they're just yeah. friends and it's the same I remember uh, I've seen Indian guys you know when I lived in Australia there was big kind of Indian population a lot of students and you often see like two Indian guys walking down the street holding hands but they, they weren't a couple, they were just friends, you know, friends, so it's just yeah, exactly. uh, totally normal. So yeah. on the on the flip side, what's something that happens in another country that would look strange in Vietnam? I have a I have a uh, I have the memory it was in uh, in uh, in in Hungary. So this is what happened. When yeah. when when you in 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 Bulgari, in Bulgaria, Bulgari, when when they accept something, they would do this. <laughs> yes. Really? And, yes. And if they don't like something, they would do this. <laughs> now, remember, not everyone's going to be watching this on YouTube and being able to see what you're doing right now. Oh. <laughs> so we okay. need you need to explain it with words. <laughs> oh, I mean, like. I mean, like, I, I have this experience, you know, in, in Bulgaria. When, when they like something, they would shake their heads like they don't like normally. That's yeah. And the opposite also. If they don't like something, they just shake their head up and down like they <laughs> really like and it's an okay. And this is like, this is like, this is like really crazy. I was, <laughs> I was there for like... <laughs> Like I think like two weeks, you know, and <laughs> every time, you know, and, and they, they, even they, they, they saw my, my act, you know, and sometimes I have a moment to, to, to look at the audience and they just shake their heads. <laughs> they, they say like, no, 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 no. It was like, I think it's like, uh, that's, that's one of the moment I, I remember <laughs> at this point, you know. That, yeah. I'd never heard that one before. Yeah. That's similar to here in Vietnam. If you want to beckon someone to come here, you, you do this with your palm face down and you kind of wiggle your fingers to come here. Right. Right. Whereas like in the in the UK, anyway, where I'm from, that would be quite rude to say to somebody, come here. You, that, but here, it's, so that's just these small things, all right? You, but you're like, right. you grew up in a country, you just think the way that you're brought up is the only way that things are done. You don't realize that even maybe just the country next to you might be done completely differently. So final right. question. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who is uh, thinking or who's coming to Vietnam? I think just uh, uh, open up your mind, open up your heart, uh, discover 
you will be especially if you are a guest uh, a new guest you know you are mostly will be very welcome by vietnamese people because they are very like welcome and friendly to even guess even that not directly that they know and they are very supported you know for people who visit and travel in vietnam and uh, and uh, discover the landscape here discover the the country uh, along the water you know what i'm still doing nowadays if i have the chance you know there's so many places in vietnam which is which are very beautiful that uh, you should discover of course the food uh, yeah that's that i would recommend anyone uh, and i did already few friends who come to vietnam because of my recommendations and they always keep saying like they would come back anytime again that's brilliant So we'll finish up. Thank you so, so much, Tuan. It's been so good to catch up. Uh, I will definitely, we'll catch up in person when we can, uh, yeah. when, when you're back in Saigon. Uh, I still need to get my swimming shorts from you. I, I left my swimming shorts in a hotel in Hoi An and Tuan picked them up for me and I was meant to get them like a week later and that was about three months ago. Now, that was the last time I did a comedy show up there. Yeah, I think your 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 swimsuit, colorful swimsuit, is still here. So <laughs> the people looking me me at me a little bit weird, like, what is this guy coming to get a colorful swimsuit from a? They were pink. They were bright pink swim shorts. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm sorry I embarrassed you. <laughs> so before we finish, tell people listening and watching where can they find more information about Loon Production, about the AO show, about your new show Terdar. Tell everyone where they can find that information. Yes, go to our website, uh, loonproduction.com, or on a. Social media, you can find everything, or even you can type like our show on uh, Google, and there is a lot of information where we will playing next time, uh, what will happen in the future with our touring performances in the country and also international touring. Now, you've just embarrassed me because I've been calling it the AO show, which is really difficult to see. If anyone's watching, you can see the struggle, AO, like my neck muscles. But you've just embarrassed me because you pronounce it at all. AO, yeah. At all. Yeah. Oh, see, this is my, my, I can't even, see, this is how bad my Vietnamese is. I can't even say two letters correctly. Yeah, but you still have time to work on it, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for being on. This is the final episode of uh, season six. I'm so excited. We've just passed 18,000 downloads. Um, I've lost track of how many guests we've interviewed. Um, this started off as just a little hobby. It's coming, becoming to something so much bigger. Uh, I've met some unbelievable people, interviewed some amazing guests. I'm so happy to have you on uh, to finish season six. So thank you so, so much. Thank you very much. And I hope you stay safe and uh, take the time to write more news story and sketches that we will be able to share with the audience as soon as possible. Perfect. Sounds good. Thank you so okay. much, Tuan. Thank you, Neil. Okay. okay. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Now
very much for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. Don't forget to subscribe from wherever you're listening from right now. Turn on the notifications as well so you never miss an episode. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you go back through. We've got five seasons of amazing guests that you can listen to their stories as well. Please get in touch. I always love to hear from our listeners. It's one of the best things when I wake up in the morning and I open up Instagram or Facebook and I've had a message from someone telling me that they've been listening from America or Australia or anywhere in the world. So please let me know where you're listening from or Vietnam as well, obviously. Um, I always love to hear from people. I want to give a massive thank you again to our Patreon members, Brandon Thompson and Zion Johnson. If you do enjoy this content, you can support 7 Million Bikes of Vietnam podcast on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. You can become a member of a Vietnam podcast and get access to exclusive member benefits like free tickets to comedy shows or even a free 7 Million Bikes t-shirt as well. So check that out in the show notes, as I said, and you can also buy me a coffee or a beer if you want on coffee.com. So make sure you check that out. So thanks again for listening. Really hope you enjoy season six and you can stay tuned for the future episodes. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.